please uh, turn your Bibles to 3 John. 3 John, we began looking at this epistle uh, last week. We're going to continue doing that uh, this morning, Lord willing. We're continuing looking at 3 John and this idea of a Christian love and hospitality. We saw this idea that the necessity of Christians to have love for one another as we looked at First and Second John. And we see this morning, last week, as we go through this series, that hospitality is an outgrowth of that love that we are to have for one another. And we're continuing to look at that this morning. Uh, remember each message kind of that we're looking at as we go through Third John focuses on a person in the letter. So last week we looked at John and we, we thought about how Christian hospitality brings joy to him and bring joy to leaders is what we looked at last week. And this morning we're looking at Gaius. And we'll be talking about Gaius this, this morning and next week as well as we talk about Christian hospitality rightly practiced and how Christian hospitality is part of gospel ministry. And this morning we're going to be kind of looking more narrowly at a particular type of hospitality. And the next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll broaden the scope of what Christian hospitality looks like. So this morning, looking at uh, Gaius and John's commendation of Gaius for his hospitality to these, these gospel workers, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8 of 3 John, and if you would stand with me if you're able to, and we'll read verses 5 through 8 together. And by together, I mean I'm going to read it and you're going to be quiet, but that's just to avoid some confusion there. That sounded awkward. Uh, verse 5 of 3 John through verse 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word. This morning, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we do lift up this time of, of study of your word, help our, our hearts and minds to be attentive. Perhaps we're a little more tired than, than normal this morning as we've uh, gone through this, this time adjustment, so help, help us to be uh, good stewards of this time and help us to, to learn what you would have us learn and apply it in our lives and, and do so with joy. I thank you for the faithfulness of this church in, in this area of hospitality. Help us to grow in it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hospitality was extremely important in the ancient Mediterranean culture. You think of some seven, eight hundred years before Third John wrote, was written, some seven, eight hundred years before Homer composed the Odyssey. It tells the story of Odysseus's journey from the war back to his, his home. And what's the interesting thing about the Odyssey is that as you, as you look at the different characters in it, you see that all the, the bad guys are inhospitable. They, they fail to conform to the cultural norms concerning hospitality. And all the good guys do practice hospitality. So, for example, examples of bad hospitality. You may remember the story where Odysseus on his journey encounters the Cyclops, and instead of welcoming Odysseus and his men to his home, he brings them into his home and doesn't provide them with food, but makes them food, eats them, which 
you, you don't have to consult Miss Manners to know is, is not good hospitable, hospitality. You don't eat your guests, right? Uh, or later in, in the story, whenever Odysseus arrives home, you have the, the people who have been in his home and, and just grossly violating the rules of hospitality, of being good hosts, and Odysseus has to uh, has like kill them in his home in the battle to get them to leave, which, again, that's, that's, that's a sign of being a bad guest when the host has to kill you to get rid of you. That's bad hospitality. It's violating the rules of hospitality there. Good hospitality is practiced by good characters in the story. You, you have Odysseus' son, uh, Telemachus, and he practices hospitality uh, to Athena. Does, she's disguised, and he, he lavishes her with hospitality, and he's, a, he's revealed to be a, a good person because of his hospitality. Hospitality, it's hard to overestimate how important hospitality was there in the, the ancient Mediterranean world. And the same was true hundreds of years later. Whenever John writes, Third John, to Gaius, hospitality is, is an essential attribute in this culture of a, of a person who's, who's moral, who does the right things. And in the church, hospitality takes on a unique flavor. There's a unique purpose for the, the Christian to be hospitable. And last week, I kind of introduced this idea to you as we thought about a, a definition of biblical hospitality. We said, biblical hospitality is when I demonstrate my love for you by joyfully using my home and other physical resources to meet your physical needs. And I joyfully do that. I, I engage in ministering to you using my home and my other resources to meet your needs. I do that to, to show my love. Hospitality for the believer is a, a manifestation of this love that we're to have for each other. That's, that's biblical hospitality. And we're going to talk about hospitality in its, in its broadest sense, or more, more broadly, next week. But this morning, I want us to look at these verses, these four verses, verses 5 through 8, and look at a more narrow application of hospitality. John brings his focus of hospitality into a very narrow sphere here, and he's talking about hospitality to a certain subgroup of people. A special type of hospitality we show towards some people, and these people are gospel workers. What I want you to see as we look at this passage, kind of main idea I want you to grasp as you, you walk away this morning, I want you to say, okay, I understand that God has called me to participate in gospel ministry by demonstrating hospitality to gospel workers. I participate in gospel ministry as I display hospitality toward gospel workers. It's a special type of hospitality I'm supposed to show. We're going to look at the characteristics of that hospitality. What does hospitality to a, a gospel worker look like? And, and then we're going to talk about why we practice that type of hospitality. Now, as I've been thinking about the message this week, I've, I've struggled a little bit. And my struggle has been thinking through how to apply this in, in our cultural context. I'm still struggling a little bit. First service, I think I struggled a little bit in thinking through on, on some of these things. Here's, here's the good news for me, though. This message this morning feels very much like the message last Sunday in terms of Bethany Community Church. I believe that 
our church is a church that loves to be hospitable. I think you're a very warm, hospitable church, and I think you embrace the idea that God has called you to care in a special way for those who are engaged in, in gospel work. And, and by the way, the, the type of gospel work that I'm talking about here from Third John, I'm talking about gospel workers who are engaged in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in other communities, other than the, the community from which they're, they're from. So they're people who are separated from their, their local church that they're a part of. They're in another community. They're, they're sharing the gospel. They're doing something. They're, I'm thinking here about missionaries. I'm thinking about traveling speakers uh, who are from other churches. I'm thinking about seminary students who are preparing for gospel ministry in other communities. Th- those are the types of people that I'm talking about here. And I believe that, that, that our church, as we're talking about the need to practice a special type of hospitality to these people, I don't think there's anyone here who goes, you know what, uh, Daniel, uh, that doesn't sound all that appealing to me. I don't believe I have any sort of obligation to people who are engaged in, in proclaiming the gospel ministry, lay people or, or, or uh, missionaries. or any, You know, I'm just, just, that's totally not something I'm interested in at all. I, I don't think that's where we are as a church. And so, in that sense, it's kind of a fun message. There's, there's not a lot of, hey, you need to do this betters I need to do, right? Really, it's just encouragement. What, and what I think is going to happen as we talk about what John is, is writing about here, I, I think we're going to get excited about practicing this type of hospitality. And there's going to be this sense of, oh, okay, um, I was excited about it before. Now I kind of see some more characteristics biblically of what this type of hospitality looks like. I see some, uh, maybe some things I didn't see before in terms of why I practice this type of hospitality. But it's, but it's nothing that I was doing this and now I have to do something completely opposite. I think it's going to be just an area where we, we grow together as we think about this message here in these verses. Now, maybe there are some of us, and, and I don't, you know, I, I doubt, just based on my conversations, I doubt there's many of us here, but maybe there are some of us who would say, um, I don't believe that I have an obligation to care for those who are in ministry proclaiming the gospel, but hopefully you'll be convicted by what John says here as well. But I, I think that most of us here are, are more like Gaius, where John is saying, hey, guys, good job, keep it up. I think that's kind of the message this morning, I hope, to our church. Hey, Bethany, good job, keep it up. Let's, let's grow in this area. Okay, so let's, let's do this. Let's begin, as we think, think about this idea, our, we have this special obligation to practice a special type of hospitality to gospel workers. As we practice this special type of hospitality, we engage in gospel ministry, that's, that's the big thing we're looking at. Let's, let's first of all look at some characteristics of this type of hospitality. What are, what are some of the characteristics of hospitality to gospel workers? What does this special type of hospitality look like? And listen to what John writes in verses 5 and 6. He says, Beloved, and this is uh, to Gaius, and this is the third time that he's used this, this word beloved. Beloved, He says, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on a journey, on their journey, in a manner worthy of God. And and what has happened here is, we think, is that 
John's congregation has, has sent out some, some missionary workers, some, some teachers of the gospel, and they've gone to different communities there in Asia Minor, and one of the communities they would have gone to would have been Gaius's community, and whenever they came to Gaius's community, Gaius practiced hospitality toward them, and they've come back, and they've shared with John and the rest of the church what happened, and John and the rest of the church are encouraged and excited by the type of hospitality that Gaius and his community of faith showed to these workers. And so here are some things we see about characteristics of hospitality that we show to gospel workers. Number one, this type of hospitality is is hard work. Notice what he says here in verse 5. He says, beloved, it is faithful thing, a faithful thing. In other words, this is a right application of of the gospel, of, of being a, a true believer, we've talked about in First and Second John. It's a faithful thing you're doing. And he says, in, in all your efforts for these brothers, this, this ministry that, that Gaius engaged in toward these workers wasn't done half-heartedly. There was not just this bare minimum approach to meeting their needs, but he went above and beyond. When a person came into the community and you're practicing hospitality, there would have been a lot of things to think through. You would have thought through, okay, what sort of provisions are they going to need for the next stage of their journey? Uh, what sort of washing does their clothing need to, to have? Where am I going to find uh, different places for them to stay and to sleep? And, and how am I going to provide for their food? And, and Gaius thought proactively about what their needs were and, and went above and beyond to meet all of their needs. He didn't just kind of mail it in as these guys came into the community. Gaius engaged in the hard, difficult work of hospitality. And if you think that hospitality is easy, you're not practicing it right. It doesn't mean that it's burdensome, sense of, of spiritually burdensome, but it's, but it's hard work. It's a, it's a labor. It's not easy. Now secondly, what else do we see about this type of hospitality? Look back at the text there. Secondly, we see that this type of hospitality is ultimately directed toward God. He says, uh, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Now that expression, strangers as they are, what does that mean? It means that whenever these people came into the community, Gaius didn't already know them. It wasn't like this hospitality that was kind of like, hey, we're going to have a dinner party and there's some friends of mine that are coming in and I haven't seen them in a while, so we're going to get together and and uh, have, have some food and fellowship, and I'm going to practice hospitality. It's not that type of hospitality. In John's day, hospitality worked something like this in, in this culture, a couple different ways. One way, if you were in a community and a traveler from a different community came into your area, you could open your home to that traveler And by opening your home to that person, you're saying, okay, you're no longer a stranger. You are now officially a guest. I'm I'm welcoming you into my home. And as I welcome you into my home, you go from being an outsider, from being a traveler, from being a foreigner, to being a guest, from having a status, official status in our community as, as guest. You're guest of Daniel. And as you welcomed a person into your home and called them your guest, you were recognizing your obligation to provide for people from another community. So there's this reciprocal relationship that might exist between these two communities. And as you welcome people from one community to your community, you're saying you have a status here. You're not just some outsider. You're you're part of our community. You have an identified role in our community. 
your identified role is, is guest, guest of Daniel or guest of whoever. That, that's one of the ways that hospitality worked in this culture. Now, sometimes it would also work like this. If you were traveling and I knew you, and I knew some of the people who were going to be in the communities you were traveling to, I might write a letter for you. I'd say, you know, this is, this is my friend, and he is traveling. This is Daniel telling you that this guy is a good guy. Please provide a, a home and a place for him to stay as he travels. And as you traveled, you could take that letter of recommendation, you could give it to a person, the person would read that letter of recommendation, and they would have no idea who you were, but they would welcome you into their home. And as they welcomed you into their home, the hospitality that you received was, was really a reflection on how they viewed me, the person who was recommending you. And if you came to them and you said, uh, I would like to stay here, and here's my letter of recommendation from Daniel, and they said, uh, Daniel Schmanuel and started ripping up the letter or whatever, then uh, what did that do? Not only did it shame the person who was asking for the, the place to stay, but it shamed me who had done the recommending. The person who is receiving the letter says, Daniel means nothing to me. His recommendation means nothing to me. Forget it. And now I've been shamed. So what John is saying is, look, you have received these gospel workers into your home, and as you've done so, You've done so even though they are strangers. And so Gaius's hospitality ultimately isn't directed toward these people who've come in his community. He had no idea who they were. Ultimately, that, ho- that hospitality is directed toward who? Toward God, whose representatives they are. In fact, that helps us understand another passage in Matthew that I think is sometimes misunderstood. Keep your finger there in 3 John and turn back to Matthew chapter 25, a passage, again, I think we sometimes misunderstand. In Matthew chapter 25, and let's begin, let's begin kind of around verse 31, it's talking about Jesus' return, him sitting on his glorious throne, and everyone's gathered together and he separates the people, sheep from the goats. And verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. This is Matthew 25, verse 34. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And a lot of times, whenever... In our current culture, whenever we read these verses, what do we think about? We think about ministry to the disenfranchised, ministry to the marginalized, the poor. And certainly there are scriptures that deal with that, and certainly there's elements of of impoverishment here, but but there's something deeper going on, I believe. Because listen to what else happens. The righteous, verse 37, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see a stranger and welcome you, that's hospitality, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, what does it mean when he refers to the least of these as his brothers? Well, I think he's talking about a certain type of person who's in need, not just an impoverished person, but, 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 a, but, a, but a brother, but a person who's part of the the family of God. And based upon some 
some parallels between Matthew 25 and what we see in Matthew 10 as Jesus sends out his followers to proclaim the coming of the gospel, the, the coming of the kingdom, the, the gospel message, the good news. I, I think he's I think there might be a specific application here to, to gospel workers, to, to people who are proclaiming the gospel, a certain type of hospitality we show to those who are proclaiming the gospel. And as we show hospitality, meeting the physical needs of those who are proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, as we do that, we're directing that toward God. Failure to do that is to fail to proclaim the gospel it's failure to care for the needs of those proclaiming the kingdom. It's, it's to fail in our obligation to God. He says to those on his left, apart from, this is still in Matthew 25, he will say to those on his left, apart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. Same thing, I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. And so forth. Then verse 44, they also will answer him and say, Lord, what are you talking about? And he will say, verse 45, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, what's happening here, I think, is exactly what we've seen throughout First and Second John. As a person believes in Jesus Christ, as they pass the truth test concerning who Jesus is, their hearts are transformed by the gospel, they walk in obedience, and part of that walking in obedience is a desire to love other believers. And loving other believers manifests itself in hospitality. A person who lacks hospitality reveals that they don't love others, reveals that they aren't obedient to the truth, reveals that they haven't accepted the truth, reveals that they're not really in relationship with God. A person who denies their obligation to care for the needs of others, specifically those who are involved in gospel proclamation, reveals that they aren't truly a follower of Christ. What are the characteristics of hospitality to gospel workers? Well, one, it's, it's hard work. Two, it's, it's ultimately directed toward God. These are strangers. A few uh, months ago, I was at my, my parents' church, and um, many of the people in that, that I grew up in that church, but many of the people there uh, don't, don't know who I am anymore, and um, enough, enough time has passed, I guess. Uh, all the holes in the walls have been repaired that I, I caused there. Um, so, so I was invited to speak there, and um, between services, uh, s- some saint provided a little little uh, plate of, of treats. Now, I, I've I debated about whether or not to mention this, because I, I don't want some kind soul here do, feeling like they need to do this for me. I bring a banana between services, and that's plenty, because I, I don't want to get sick. Um, but, but what happened here is, is uh, some, some saint prepared this, this amazing tray full of like um, strawberries and chocolates and, and trail mix. And you know, I took like a picture and, and sent it back to Mike and said, Mike, this is how they treat speakers here. Uh, and just all, sor- I mean, just all sorts of goodies, right? And now I was kind of nervous in between the first uh, and second service there. I was like, I don't know if I should eat. But in between the second and third service, I was really hungry. And so I start eating, right? Whitney sends me a, a text saying, hey, can I, can I sit with you? Where are you? I'm like, uh, going to be late. Uh, just go ahead and find a seat. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, stuff. Now, the person, the, the point is this, the person who prepared that, that little uh, uh, plate of goodies had never met me. I still have no idea who did it. But it didn't matter, right? Their hospitality wasn't directed toward me. Daniel who? 
that person prepared that plate of food, I, I think, for the Lord, ultimately. Our hospitality isn't about the worthiness of the person who's receiving it. Our hospitality is ultimately directed toward God. That's a characteristic of biblical hospitality to gospel workers. Now, here's a, another passage we think about, Hebrews 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We think of Abraham and his entertaining of angels unaware. Now, here's a third characteristic of, of gospel ministry. A third characteristic is it, it furthers the ministry of the gospel. John says to Gaius, as he's talking about the hospitality that he's shown, he says, the brothers testified to your love before the church, and you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So how does, how does practicing hospitality to gospel workers further the ministry of the gospel? And there's, there's a couple ways. One of the ways is it, it furthers the ministry of the gospel by encouraging other people to engage in gospel ministry. What happened here is that these brothers are at Gaius's church. They receive hospitality. They come back into John's community. And as they come back into John's community, they, they stand before the church and they start telling about the things that have happened. And as they start talking about the things that have happened, they come to the, the point in their journey where they're at Gaius's church. And all the saints who hear them share their story of how Gaius took care of them and provided them with clothing and food and shelter and all these things. As they hear that, they're encouraged, they're excited. I believe that sometimes we, we've misapplied some biblical truths that, that prevent us from feeling the same excitement that John's church was able to, he, to, to feel as they heard about Gaius' ministry. What do I mean? Well, we know in Matthew 6, it talks about our giving. And in Matthew 6, we've, we've all heard this before. Jesus says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, that's, of course, absolutely true. Jesus said it, and so that's a good biblical principle there, but I think sometimes we've misapplied it and we've, we've said, well, if I'm supposed to not trumpet my giving in front of others, then, then I can never talk about any sort of giving whatsoever and, and all giving needs to be done this, this shroud of darkness so that no one can ever know anything and I don't think that's a biblical model either. As we encounter giving in the book of Acts, we, we see that the church is aware of, of very generous gifts that have been given and there's rejoicing and praising of God because of it. We think about 2 Corinthians and the collections that are taken there and, and the way in which God is glorified as others hear about gifts that are given. And, and so I, I just think we need to be careful. I was uh, passing by the, the, the table in the farmhouse, uh, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday, several weeks ago, and there's kind of, after the ladies are done counting the, the gifts each week, there's kind of this uh, like a little sheet that it's kind of a public, anyone can look at this, it's just kind of a, a record of, of, uh, of the giving for that, that week or that month or whatever. And, and I just kind of, walking by, I saw that piece of paper, picked it up, and just kind of, you know, there's our general giving, giving, giving to the building fund. I saw another line. I said, now, now what's, what's this line? What's, what's the money here? And they said, well, there are some, some people in our church 
the names weren't on there, obviously. There's some people in our church who are, are giving to seminary students through our, our church. That, that's that line. Really? And that's pretty cool. It's exciting. And as I found out about giving that some people in our church are, are doing to, to seminary students to help them in their preparation for gospel ministry, my heart got really excited and encouraged by that. I, thought, well, I, need, I need to be doing that more faithfully. God has called us to encourage each other, and as we, as we practice hospitality, meeting the physical needs of those engaged in gospel ministry, it encourages the ministry of the gospel, it furthers the ministry of the gospel as it encourages other people to engage in caring for the needs of others, but also it furthers the ministry of the gospel by equipping believers. Look at, look at this phrase here. Look at your Bible. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey. That phrase, send them on a journey, send them on a journey, is, is a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament. Maybe you've never noticed it before, but it's a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament to describe financially supporting someone for a mission trip or, or gospel ministry. So, for example, Acts 15.3 says that Paul was sent on his way by the church. Romans 15.24, Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. In other words, I hope you give me some funds so that I can do this, this trip. 1 Corinthians 16.6, perhaps I'll stay with you or even, even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 16 let no one despise him. He's talking about Timothy there. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. Titus 3.13, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. As we engage in, in hospitality toward gospel workers, what's happening is that we're helping them on their way. We're in, enabling them to do the work of ministry. Now here's the fourth characteristic. These are all related. Here's the fourth characteristic of this type of of hospitality is extravagant. It's extravagant. Look what he says. He says, send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You will do well there means, means please, essentially. It's a gentle request. And, and he says, he says uh, send them on the way in a, in a manner worthy of God. And this kind of goes back to the, to the second point too, right? If our, if our hospitality is ultimately directed toward God, our hospitality should be very extravagant. There should be a lavishness to it. Our caring for others is not miserly as they engage in gospel work. It's lavish as we recognize our opportunity to give toward, toward this ministry, toward God. Now, as I think about this in a manner worthy of God, we're going to talk more about this next week as we, we talk about the extravagance of, of hospitality, but, but just, just a couple thoughts come to mind. What, what does extravagant hospitality look like? I think extravagant hospitality, first of all, it, it, meets, it meets people's needs, right? You're finding the need and you're, you're meeting them. And you're not just kind of saying, okay, what's the bare minimum I can do to, to fulfill my obligation as a person? But there's, there, there's full fulfillment of their need. But here, and this is the tricky thing, another element of extravagant hospitality 
And, and some of you have some of you have mastered this, some of us have not yet. A person who's really good at extravagant hospitality has the ability to meet the needs of other people in such a way that, that not only do they not feel awkward in receiving the help, but they kind of feel like they're doing you a favor as they let you help them. Have you ever been around people like that? You know, it's like some people, and there, and there have been times where maybe you've been in a home, and, and certainly this has happened for me, but you've been staying with someone you don't know, and, and you just feel like, boy, everything I'm doing, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm messing stuff up. My, my children are kind of crazy, and I can tell this bothers them. I just feel very awkward here. And then sometimes you've been in a home where you're like, man, I can't accept things from these people fast enough to make them happy. Okay, fine, I'll take a second piece of chocolate cake, whatever. I just, I just want you to be happy. You know? And there's just this extravagant. Doug Van Meter from South Africa is a good friend. He's going to be speaking here in a few weeks. And, and uh, whenever we, we stayed at their house, he, we went in there into this, this room they had prepared for us, and they had, they had done things I, I had never thought about. They had these like, water bottles and, and food and just kind of all these amenities just, just everywhere so that if you needed something, you didn't even have to ask. It was there, and you knew you could. T- I think I was supposed to take that. I should probably ask him about that. You know. No, I just, you just knew. It was just lavish. It was extravagant. That's some of the characteristics of, of hospitality to gospel to ministers, and, and we can go even broader than that, and we will next week. Now, here's, here's the second question I want us to look at then. Why, right? Why should we practice hospitality to gospel workers? Why there's this, this special attention to hospitality to, to these people? Here's, here's the three reasons. Here's the first one. Number one, because we want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. He says, as he begins verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, the sake of the name, what does that mean? Whenever the gospel is rightly proclaimed, Jesus Christ's name is going to be exalted. If a person is proclaiming the true gospel, Jesus Christ's name is exalted. And that should be our passion. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Exalting the name of Jesus should be an incredible passion for us and For those of us who love to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, there's no price too high to pay to exalt the name of Jesus. In fact, when we see that expression, the name of Jesus Christ, exalting the name of Jesus, things for the sake of the name, as he says here in verse 7, they've gone out for the sake of the name. Most times we encounter that expression, the sake of the name, in Scripture. You know what the context is? It's suffering and persecution. So, for example... Acts 5.41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted, counted, counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the, for the name, for the sake of the name. Paul, Jesus says this of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Acts 21, verse 13, Paul says to the elders, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. So oftentimes we encounter this expression, for the sake of the name, it's in the context of suffering. And for the believer who loves the name of Jesus Christ, there's, there's no price too high to pay to exalt the name of Jesus. And so we practice hospitality because we rightly value things. 
and we say, okay, I have these physical resources, I have this home, and, and these physical resources are here, and the name of Jesus is here, and I want to use this, this stuff here so I can spend it on something truly valuable, which is exalting the name of Jesus. And for some of us to rightly practice hospitality, we've got some value work to do, right? A year or so ago, a couple years ago, uh, we got some, some new couches. And we, we noticed one night that, that there was a, a little hole in, in one of these new couches. And we, we had some, some people come over to our house, and uh, don't worry, it wasn't you. Uh, came over to our house, and uh, one of the guys sat down on the couch and put his arm right there where that little hole was, and, and then he started doing this. Pick, 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 stop. Pick, pick, pick. And, and what am I doing? I'm going crazy on the inside. How do I stop him? How do I, how do I, this is my new couch, and he's just tearing it apart. You know, I'll tell you, man, you know, hospitality was, was not in the, in the forefront of my mind there. Because I wrongly value a couch. Your love of your physical resources is an impediment to practicing hospitality. And your couch, and your nice chairs, and your table, and your walls, and your carpet that gets muddy because it's snowy outside, and people come in and they're trying, all that, all that's going to burn. The name of Jesus Christ is going to endure forever. We practice hospitality to gospel workers because we love the name of Jesus Christ being exalted. Why else? Why else? Because we want to protect the gospel. Look what he says here also. He says, they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, false teachers would come and, and, uh, in, in this day, and they would, they would have this desire to, to make money off the people that they're sharing the gospel with. And, and it's very important to protect the gospel, John says here, by, by not allowing there to be any impediments or any misunderstandings about the nature of the gospel. As Jesus said in Matthew, as he talks about this gospel message in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he says to his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. If the disciples received payment for their message, there was this possibility that the gospel message would be misunderstood. And, and Jesus is saying, look, this, this gospel message is about the free gift of salvation, and, and you've been given it freely, now you give freely as well. And so allowing gospel workers, missionaries, and, and, and seminary students, and, and people who are traveling to speak at different conferences, and, and, and lay people who are going on mission trips, uh, providing for their physical needs protects the gospel because it, it protects their be, from being any misunderstanding about the, the nature of the message that they're proclaiming. And unbelievers see us as, as a church caring for those who are engaged in gospel ministries, and, and God is exalted. There's more we could say there. Maybe we'll say more another time. But it protects the gospel. It protects the gospel when we are lavish in our hospitality toward gospel workers. Then number three, why else do we practice hospitality to gospel workers? We do so because we want to share in their labors and rewards. We want to be a part of this. 
Verse 8, we ought to support workers like these that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And the idea there is that as, as we support these people who come into our community or who are out in the world and are proclaiming the good news of Jesus, we're, we're a part of that. We're, we're, we're part of that ministry. We, we're incorporated into the, the labor that they're doing. And the cool thing is this, we also participate in the rewards as fellow laborers. Philippians chapter 1 Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. These believers in, in Philippi are, are recipients of, of the reward and, and the labor, and the, they're, they're co-prisoners with Paul because of their shared ministry. I want to be a part of the gospel ministry of, of others. When I hear a person that's engaged in in gospel ministry in a, in a different cultures, it's exciting to, to think about participating in that. And when they, when they come back to the States and opening the home and the church and, and, and lavishing attention and needs, meeting their needs, that's, that's exciting. It's exciting to think about meeting their needs where they're staying in another community. It's exciting whenever I, I hear about a person preparing for ministry and our opportunity to be engaged in their life and help prepare them for ministry. It's exciting to help lay people who, are, who maybe need some help watching kids as they prepare for ministry. There's just an excitement that should, that should just consume all of us as we think about helping others engage in the ministries that God has called them to do. Whether it's missionaries, whether it's seminary students, whether it's a, a lay person preparing for ministry that God's called them to, whatever it is, there's an excitement as we practice hospitality toward others to meet their needs so they can do the labor that God has called them to do. God calls us to joyfully participate in gospel ministry by providing hospitality to gospel workers. And I kind of jotted down some thoughts. It's hard sometimes to make the, the cultural leap from first century to 21st century. There's definitely some, some, some differences in our, in our cultures. We're not going to be able to open our homes in the same way, perhaps. But, but there's a couple things that, that I think we draw from what John is saying here. One is, I think we just have the right heart attitude, right? Our heart attitude towards those in ministry becomes this desire to, to meet their needs. And, and for those of us who don't have that heart attitude, that needs to change. For those of us who do, we need to grow in that even more. There's public support and affirmation for those engaged in gospel work. There's, there's, there's financial support for them as they're on the field or as they're Preparing in their studies, there's financial support for those who are engaged in, in local ministries as we're celebrating even today. There's financial support of, of this church as this church provides for the needs of our missionaries and our seminary students. You know, I, I believe, I was thinking through this this last week, I believe that our church has supported about uh, 10 people in their uh, seminary education. And as you give to that, you're supporting that work. We support and encourage missionaries and others by opening our homes, by saying, look, my home is not my own, and whatever needs exist, I'm going to meet those. Faithful in prayer, faithful in giving, 
faithful in sacrificing for the sake of the name of Jesus. Because I want to see the good news of Jesus, the truth that a person can come into relationship with God through placing their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. I want to see that message exalted. So I'm going to practice hospitality to those who are being faithful in proclaiming that ministry. Hospitality. Hospitality. I'm demonstrating my love sacrificially as I joyfully use my home and other resources to meet the needs of others. This week we see that in terms of gospel workers. Next week we're going to see how gospel ministry is even broader than that. It's not just hospitality to those who proclaim the gospel. It's hospitality to all, to all. So there's some neat things we'll look at next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this passage. We pray that you'd help us to rightly view the things you've given us. We pray that we would be faithful in, in being hospitable towards those who are engaged in, in your work, your labor, and help us to, to think creatively about how to, how to encourage others, how to, to use the resources you've given us to, to meet their needs, and, and help us to be extravagant in that, to lavish, lavish your grace upon others. As we've freely been given, help us to freely give. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.